yo um this week jamie's not with me so i have to say yo or we'll get in trouble now this week on the century matter show chatting to jenny we have krista from neurodivergent rebel and i'm really excited about this one because krista is the first american guest that we've had on the show so this is going to be really good um what else is happening this week we still have our big 500 pound giveaway so if you haven't entered that pop on the page find a link go and enter that we have got a big bumper giveaway somebody's going to have over 500 pounds worth of gifts under their tree ready for christmas it's just so exciting also advent we've got advent coming up so keep an eye on the main page because we're going to have some advent giveaways and some special offers for you christmas is coming let's get started we love Annette and we love a chat. We love to help and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, slimming out of pure frustration. Chat to folks who've been there too. Collect it together and share it with you. If you know someone we should speak to, send them our way and that's what we'll do. We like to have our sensory matters. You know what? Hi everyone, it's Jenny here back with another Sensory Matters show and today I'm talking to someone over in America which is really exciting so say hi Krista. Hi, hi. hi. How are you doing? Uh, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, good. So you're our first American guest, we've got a few more lined up but you're the first which is really exciting because we're trying to get wider. Um, so yeah, it's great to have you on. And a few interesting things about you, um, people should know, are that you are, you've got a, a great blog called Neurodivergent Rebel, which we shall delve into a bit. Um, you also have Neurodivergent Consulting, which looks great, which is basically helping lots of businesses to try and become a lot more uh, user-friendly for people that have um, a range of disabilities or challenges which is brilliant, and you live in an RV, <laughs> yeah. which just sounds insane to me, so yeah, you, four dogs and, and your your partner, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all in an RV, but it's not a tiny one, is it? No, it's it's more like, it's the size of a city transit bus, it's it's large, it's, wow. it's more like a bus, and it has those slide outs, so okay. when you open it up, most people are surprised they come in and they're like, oh, this is kind of bigger than some apartments I've had, you know, yeah. and it's got a bedroom and, you know, the bathroom and the living space. So it's, it's a bigger RV. It's not um, what a lot of people think of when they think of an RV and we bought it used and we're going to do a lot with it, hopefully. Yeah. And do you keep it in one place or do you move it around? Uh, well, it, it depends because um, right now, Monday through Friday, I'm still a little bit, you know, tied down to an office. Okay. Uh, but and so we're kind of parked now, uh, but we go out on the weekends usually or on vacations, and almost every weekend we'll go out. Right now, we're working on repairing. We had to order a part, so we've been parked for almost a month because we've just been trying to get a couple repairs done and that's kind of something we're getting used to too. Wow, okay. And other um, things having read on your website as well about you is that you used to you do aerial acrobatics? Yes. Really? It's been a while. It's it's been probably five five or more years okay. since I've done that. But uh yeah, I 
you know, when I get really interested in something, um, I get really interested in it. And it was all pretty much, for the most part, a lot of it was self-taught. And then there were some other people that uh, I met that taught me some things, which was really great. But uh, I got really into it. <laughs> wow. So is that like trapezes? and? Oh, I don't know if I would do that. That scares me a little bit. Um, I did fire dancing with like uh, fire hula hoops. Wow. And I also did uh, the aerial silks which is oh, like the yeah. fact, like climb and tie yourself in it. And the aerial silks really was my love for a long time. Um, and, I, you know, I, I couldn't do it now because I had to be training uh, just to keep the upper body strength probably two hours a day and just like lifting yeah. and training and doing. And so, uh, you know, I kind of let it go. And then I tried a few years later and I was like, oh, I don't have the upper body strength to even do half the things anymore. <laughs> Wow. And and also circus arts and dog training. So you've you've done done a range of stuff, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. Okay, so let's let's go right back to the beginning and tell us your story um in terms of how you got into um neurodivergence and why it's called neurodivergent rebel. Yeah. Uh so I was diagnosed autistic at the age of 29 okay and um i had just kind of been struggling with some things at work and with my health and it led me down that road and once i had received that diagnosis it was kind of just like this eye-opening experience and i feel i was fortunate because um, my diagnosing psychologist uh first recommended like a book by autistic women for me to read instead of and didn't and recommended I read autistic voices. Okay, it's really helpful. So I started there, um, but then you know when I would go to Google and you Google, uh, the stuff that comes up is not you know a lot of the autistic voices aren't what you're finding. You find the medical stuff, the the real heavy pathologized stuff, and you know that wasn't what I had kind of. I, d I didn't see myself that way. And then, you know, since I had started out reading, you know, the voices of other autistic adults, that wasn't how any of, you know, them that I was reading saw themselves. And um, I just kind of wanted, like in my blog, it's, it's you know, rebelling against, uh, oh my gosh, a culture of assimilation over individuality <laughs> is my, my tagline. Yeah. Uh, kind of also is just rebelling against that stigma and that idea that, um, it's all gloom and doom, um, and I, 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 I went with neurodivergence because it's a little bit more broad. But you know, I've I've known and had very close friends growing up who not necessarily were autistic, but were also you know ADHD, dyslexic, and other you know neurodivergent um, conditions. Yeah. And these were always some of my favorite people in my life ever, you know, even before I, you know, before I knew yeah. uh, I was in there somehow. And I just kind of felt, and you, and what you hear is always like that. Like when you you insult someone by insulting, you know, you have ADHD or you, oh, you're, you're, you're so autistic, which is the new insult, which is just horrible. Yeah. Uh, and I just wanted to just kind of, fight that a little bit so you know it's not horrible and I wanted it to be a little bit more um, you know empowering so it's just like rebelling against that uh, almost like a call to action too because it you know kind of invites other people to kind of rebel with you <laughs> yeah 
Brilliant. Well, one thing that just comes across really strongly on, on both of your sites is the positivity. You're, you're really looking for the positive side to it and embracing it, and you know, which is fantastic. Um, so age 29, quite late to get a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So what, what was the trigger to kind of make you pursue that or how did it get picked up? Well, I've been having, you know, and what, you know, well, at first it was just like stomach, a lot of stomach issues and um, some other issues that were kind of hard to describe to a doctor without the language I have now, but I was having, you know, sensory issues and I was having light triggered sensory migraines and I was having other just really random neurological issues. Mm. Um, And I was also, you know, I didn't know this was what it was at the time, but I was also dealing with a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd never really named my anxiety. Nobody ever talked to me about what anxiety was growing up. you know, you know, you could see like my grandpa shared this thing on Facebook. Was like, you used to be the little girl that was scared of everything. What happened to you? You know, because I ha- and I had a lot of anxiety, um, and it was just kind of getting worse. Yeah. You know, that was my self esteem was kind of, you know, falling a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so I was going to my GP and. You know, I was like, I really don't think it's my stomach because we try all these weird diets and all these things to try and get my stomach right. And I was like, I don't think it is my stomach. I think there's something else. And she's like, well, you know, it could be anxiety. So she, re- she started to refer me out to um, like a psychologist yeah. for anxiety because she was like, if you don't think there's anything like physically wrong with your stomach, it could be anxiety. Um, and so I, and so I started kind of researching online a little bit more about mental health stuff and anxiety because I didn't think I had anxiety, even though I was physically having all of the physical symptoms like heart palpitations and sweaty, you know, I would just sweat all over, but I was just so strong headed through it that I was just like turned off to it, just completely disconnected from my body because it was just almost, I was just used to it. So I just tuned it out, you know? use it to fuel me and to get me going and I think you can only run like that for so long before stuff is going to start you know wearing out and so I started to kind of look online um, you know I had uh, you know and then I also you know came across like autistic voices and like I stumbled across autism and so I asked if you know, I could look for someone that knew about autism to diagnose me. And she's like, I don't think you fit that, but you know, sure, you know. And she gave me the a card for, I don't remember. It's like the National Autism Society or something like that, like one of the local doctors. Yeah. And so I called um, and asked if there was someone that had experience with adult women. Mm-hmm. And so I got the the contact information that way. Uh, and then went through the diagnostic diagnostic process there. Um, and did you find getting a diagnosis a relief? Yeah. Um, you know, at first, I think my initial response, I was a little bit, I was almost angry a little bit just because I kind of almost for a little while got a little bit trapped where I felt I had missed out on knowing this for a long time. Yeah. You know, so I had to kind of get past that yeah Uh, and then when I once I got past that and really started to like read about it especially reading from you know the voices of autistic people yeah uh, describing their experiences uh, 
it was like someone had kind of handed me this uh, handbook to my life. Mm-hmm. Basically, it had all these answers. Like it was, it kind of explained my strengths and my weaknesses. It mm-hmm. it shined a light on areas where I was struggling, and so then it let me like figure out, okay, well, what can I do to kind of like supplement myself, or can I can I teach myself something to help with that? Or so it's 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 really for me. I think it's got my life back on track. Yeah. Because it's just kind of shined a light on everything. It's like, oh, I understand what's happening now. I know better how to take care of and manage myself. Yeah. Uh, and it's just kind of been empowering for me. But it wasn't that way at first. You know, I think it took me a little while to get there. Yeah. And how, how did people around you react? Were they surprised? Were they like, we knew anyway? How did they react? Well, that depends. You know, um, there was one person who I had known at the time, probably seven years previous, and she had come out that she was diagnosed autistic. And I remembered listening to her story and thinking, well, doesn't everybody have that? Doesn't every, you know, doesn't everybody? Doesn't every, in my, I didn't say this to her, yeah. luckily. Um, and then so later, I, I, she was someone I actually reached out to because I knew she had been there. And I was like, did you know? Like, did you know when I was sitting there and when yeah. we were talking? And she's like, yeah, but she did, I, She said, I didn't think it was my place to, like, out you or to say that to you. And I was like, wow. But she, but she comes from a different place. Yeah. Like, if I, um, you know, when you talk about it with sometimes with people who are closer to you, uh, sometimes family members or, you know, people who uh, may be friends. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, you try to bring them this new information. They've kind of already got a picture of who they think you are in their head. And this yeah. new information doesn't fit that. And a lot of times people are like, no, you're not. Or no, you can't be. Or, oh, but not very much. Or, you know, and that's kind of the response you get. Or people are like, oh, you're so smart. Or, but you, you, you know, you're so, you're, you have a good job. And all these things people say. Yeah. And... Yeah. You know, and the people closest to you, I think, sometimes it's hardest for them to accept. It's kind yeah. of... I, I would imagine for, for a parent, seeing your child get a late diagnosis must bring up a whole host of feelings for them in terms of, man, I missed this, you know? Um, and and I don't know whether there would be guilt or anything around that as a parent. If, But then, you know, that decades ago, it wasn't as well recognised either. Um, no. Yeah, so interesting. Um, I I, I want to explore the comment you made about doesn't everyone, isn't everyone like that when you're sitting there having that, that thing with your friend? Because I think quite often when people explain autism to other people, other people sit there and think, well, yeah, I get a bit oversensitive to lights and I get a bit freaked out by this. And so where, where does that stop and where does it, in, in terms of being neurotypical, and where does it tip over into being a real everyday challenge that therefore then becomes autism? I think that that's always the real question, really, right? Because, you know, I, even when I was coasting along doing okay, you know, in my life, although, you know, I was probably like before I knew and before I was getting older, I was like more rude and more offensive and didn't know it, you know, yeah. that was... Um, but I was coasting and I felt I was fine and you know I never would have seeked out a diagnosis I might not have ever needed one but I was still autistic then yes you know and so that's the hard part because you know sometimes I wonder because sometimes people who say things like this I kind of feel like they might actually 
sometimes be people who are undiagnosed and don't know it. Mm. And then sometimes, and it's just someone who, uh, because people hear like, oh, this is also overdiagnosed nowadays that everybody's got it. And that's kind of where they're coming from. Uh, so it's really hard to say. Yeah. But I mean, for me, it's like, I think the difference is the way I think and experience the world, like, you know, every time I go into a room, my sensory environment is kind of always like my number one consideration and top of mind. Like, am I too cold because I'm really sensitive to temperature? Um, Is the light uh, blinding? Is it making me squint? Is it going to give me like a headache? Am I going to get sick from this? Um, You know, is is it too loud in here to where eventually that's going to bother me? And like, I'm really just considering like all of those things all of the time. And I don't think that that's what the top of mind, you know, for a neurotypical is like yeah. constantly like, how is, how do I feel? Am I comfortable? You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And um, one of the bits that I love on your new neurodivergentrebel.com, if people want to go have a look website is the, just your bit where you've got some thoughts in your about you section. Um, oh. I, I love that bit because you've got gratitude, the single most important thing anyone can have in their life. Explain that to me. Yes. Um, so, you know, who I am today is, it's, it's been a long journey. You know, I was, I, I was a goth girl in middle school, believe it or not, and a black lipstick and all of it. Yeah. Um, and there was even a time as a teenager when I was kind of very angry at the world, yeah. you know? Um, and I think, you know, as I've grown, you know, finding like, I, and I'm also a Buddhist, Uh, so meditation and gratitude and mindfulness, all these things are tools I discovered in my mid twenties, um, that really have been helpful to me, especially with anxiety. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, uh, gratitude, you know, has really been helpful to me because it's like when things are going bad, like I, I gave myself a rule. I'm really good at like making up rules and sticking to them. (laughs) That's another Buddhism so much because it has all these rules and it's real lists and it's really uh, packaged real nicely. Yeah. Uh, but it's like I made myself a rule. It's like okay, like when something is really bad, it's like find at least that one thing, the best thing if possible, but the one thing that you can be grateful for in the situation. Like so, it's like you know if we have a problem with our bus, um, you know, and the, the engine you know spills water everywhere and we need a new part. Well, at least the part was only a couple hundred dollars, you know, mm-hmm. or you know. Sometimes that may be the only good in the situation or, you know, if, uh, you know, you hurt yourself, but at least it wasn't worse, you know, yeah. or sometimes it's little, but it's just like finding that little bit of light um, has just been real helpful to me. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just going and a little more upbeat. Um, yeah. And it's, it's been life. It's been a life changing kind of a, a, a piece. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other bit that I like that you've written is I truly believe that as humans we are custodians of the earth. The meaning of life is leaving the world better than you found it and our job is to figure out what our proficiencies are. So I, I love that. Tell, tell me what was going through your head when you were writing that. Um, you know, I think everyone's, we're all different and we all have different skills. We all have different abilities and you know, when we all work together, we can all kind of supplement each other with the skills that we have. And also, you know, generally, the things that we're skilled at doing, we become skilled at because we love doing them. Yeah. 
So if everyone is do, like searching out their skills and their passions and is doing what they love, you know, people are going to be happier. So that's part of it. Um, and then, you know, just also, you know, I kind of believe, you know, like when I go camping, you know, you pick up and you leave it a little nicer than you found it. Yeah. And I kind of have that same feeling about the world in general. It's like, you know, I'm here, you know, for however long I'm here before I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I can leave behind, you know, nothing and help and just pollute the earth and, you know, not do anything that helps. Or, you know, I can try at least to help people or help someone or just make it a little brighter yeah. than it was before or than it would have been. Uh, and it's just kind of because we have all this energy to spend. It's just putting the energy into doing something that is kind of helpful. Yeah. And if everybody didn't did it, wouldn't it be wonderful? Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing that people don't realize is, you know, it's really rewarding to do some to do good things. Yes. So people would be rewarded, you know, they would feel good for doing good things. So it's just like a win-win situation. Good things are being done and everyone's happy. Yeah. It's cheesy, right? No, but but so true. I often talk to my husband about, we we often talk about um, buying an island and starting Uh a new society from scratch, right? Just so that we can wipe the slate clean and start again. And a lot of what you're saying is is what we talk about. Um, So it rings, it rings true with me. Um, and, and the final thing you've got is the world needs more positivity and less judgment. We need better role models, fewer bullies, people who don't shrink in the face of adversity and stand up for what is right, which I guess is the ethos behind why you then set up your consultancy service in some way, is it? Yeah. Um, well, also, you know, the consultancy service, it, I, this is going to sound weird. I kind of didn't want to do it. <laughs> but it was it was people kept emailing me through my blog for these types of requests okay. and the requests were getting to be big enough um you know businesses and entities that I was like this has to actually become official because it was making me nervous yeah. uh, and you know I was doing the work anyway and a lot of it I had started out I was just helping people for free yeah and I still help people out for free a lot actually I do a lot of you know if it's just a quick like phone call or here and there or something quick a couple questions via email or something I can help out with I still help out a lot for free um, because I just kind of want to be useful and helpful Um, but it's not honestly my full-time job I do work full-time still what what do you do full-time um, for so for a while I was kind of in like a, an HR kind of a role operations role and then recently I've transitioned to a new smaller company because I'm able to work for the most part I can work anywhere okay. uh, uh, sometimes I come work around the home office but it's I, that's not my base which is great for me uh, and I'm in marketing so I'm the marketing manager okay cool <laughs> kind of a career jump um, but you know also like a lot of the marketing stuff is self-taught too because it's like I I loved watching the marketing team at a company I worked for before and so I would learn from them as much as possible and I watched them and then I um, I learned a lot you know as I was going with the blog that um, was trial by fire there so yeah. um, it, it was a great jump because it lets me be a little bit more creative and uh, I, I, I still love the HR stuff and it's actually like an HR and business consulting company I work for okay. Um, and you know, I, the idea of making just businesses a better place in general for anyone, not just 
autistic people, just yeah. everyone, really excites me. Yeah. And so that's kind of the reason I kind of moved uh, to this company because that that's kind of the goal of this company. And then also I'm doing creative stuff, which is great because I, you know, I I didn't I hadn't been doing as much creative stuff for a while, and I didn't realize how much like my heart missed that. Yeah. And then. It's rejuvenating once you start being creative again and getting those, you know, creative juices flowing. Yeah. And so do your current employers know that you're autistic? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, and have they made adaptations for you? Yeah, that's, well, that's, you know, I am, I I don't know, you know, I don't know, I believe, because I might be wrong, that they didn't have a lot of remote employees before. I might be the first remote employee. Okay. But here's the thing. This situation was a little bit unique. The my, my new boss actually sits on the board of an autism charity oh. with me. Okay. So that's how I knew her. Uh, the owner of the charity, I had kind of whispered, hey, I'm quietly looking. If you, And so he had whispered to her, and then it, we got connected that way. So she kind of knows what's going on because the charity is called Life Guides for Autism. Okay. So it's a neurodiversity-focused uh, charity here. Um, a very passionate father who has autistic children started it, and um, he seeks me out through Twitter. And so I sit on the board here, and she sits on the board. And so, you know, I was very honest and upfront with her. Like, right away, I was like, "This, these, these are my challenges. You know, I'm really looking to be remote. Uh, and I told her why. You know, a lot of it is sensory-related. It's yeah. I'm not comfortable unless I can control my environment. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and you, can't, I can't control the thermostat in an office. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times, it has the big fluorescent lighting, or you know, it can be really noisy and distracting, and people are talking all the time, and yeah. you know, it. But I, but I also you know, told her, it's like I, I'm, I will be a very loyal employee. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm, you know, probably one of the one of the more loyal employees than but you know compared to some other people <laughs> yeah so in terms of the consulting stuff that you do as well um what sort of what what are the kind of biggest misconceptions that companies come with and and how do you help them overcome that what would your kind of i don't know three tips for making somewhere more accessible more comfortable be um i think probably the number one thing that um, companies just aren't thinking of or aren't thinking about enough would be like their hiring process. Okay. Um, and, you know, it isn't necessarily just autistic workers. And this wouldn't work for everyone. Uh, but, you know, for me, one other thing that I did when I came on board with my current employer is while I was still working at my other job, I started working part-time, kind of as like a trial. Well, it was almost like a trial. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then we saw if we liked each other, and then I went on full time after that, which was great because I didn't have to leave this because you know I like security. I really yes. cling security. Um, but you know, I've had people say that the work trial, you know, they've tried work trials and it doesn't work for them. But that's something companies don't consider. Um, but then also, it's just like, is your hiring process just the way it is stacked against neurodivergent individuals in general? Because uh, you know, the interview process, the way it can just be too much for some people. Some people are really amazing employees, but they just can't sell themselves. Yeah. You know, and so uh, employ- there needs to be a way to get these great employees that just don't always present in the interview uh, past that point and see 
the reason I'm good at interviews, but that's because I, I, I worked in management from restaurant. Like I kind of progressed up in the restaurant when I was young yeah. and we had management trainings and they trained us how to interview people and what to look for. So I know what they're looking for. Yeah. So that's just life experience that I've got. Yeah. You know, um, so I'm lucky. Uh, but if I didn't understand that, you know, I, I might not do well in an interview. I just found a, a golden nugget of information. Yeah. So what what can you do that isn't a traditional type interview scenario? Uh, so like I was saying, the work trails are something that yeah. I like. Um, you you can still do interviews, but it's you know the things you look for. You know sometimes people are really looking for eye contact. Yes. Or companies, you know, might be looking for, like, social things in their criteria, you know, and, you know, some, you know, I, if I work in an office that their social culture is, like, they're going to be doing a lot of happy hours and all of that is really expected, Mm -hmm. Uh, if that's the culture, you know, I might need to know that up front in advance so that maybe I might even pass on it. Yeah. Uh, another thing is really, really important, just I think for people who might consider themselves to have a kind of a disability mm-hmm. in general, would be making sure your job description is really accurate. Yeah. Like seriously, a, a tight job description that goes over like really what is required of the job. Uh, it needs to describe the atmosphere of the workplace. Like is it a really fun, social, trendy workplace? You know, yeah. is it... Um, you know, what kinds of requirements do you need to be able to see the screen at this angle? Do you need to be able to lift this much? You know, yeah. all of it. You need to be able to drive, you know, how many times a week do you need to drive? You know, all of that stuff, all of those details. Um, you know, because, you know, if you if you have either a job description that is inadequate, it's inaccurate, yeah. and then, you know, one thing that's hard is, like, having that security. You know, for me, it's like, I need the job description to be accurate so I can really know if I can do the job because I know my limitations and I know, you know, if I see it, I know I can't do this yeah. and I mess it up. Um, but if I go into a company, you know, that has a job description and I, I knew I was qualified for the job, I take the job and they onboard me and then the job description all of a sudden changes or wasn't accurate or they start throwing other things on there that I can't do, all of a sudden I can't do this job. You know, yeah. and I've left a job that might have been okay and stable yeah. or, you, you know, whatever. Or now it's going to be like I'm going to have this yeah. um, history that I've come here and now I'm not going to last in this job very long because it's stacked against me. Um, so, you know, this is kind of the, the whole process. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to I, be I about. from what you're saying, I would imagine there's a lot of things there that I wouldn't think about writing a job description that you you just maybe have to train your brain to think differently and think bigger than you know just the obvious stuff in the job it's all the other stuff as well isn't it and then you know once you get into the office it's like the office environment so you know I've I talk to people a lot about their their building environments and lighting and open offices and hot desking um you know these these are things that a lot of neurodivergent people just don't want to deal with yeah not everyone, some love it, you know, yeah. but also a lot of neurotypical people say they hate hot desking or they don't like having an open office. Yeah. So, 
not just autism specific, but if you have those kinds of office environments and you're not willing to change that, you need yeah. to have, like, we have an open office environment and yeah. maybe even describe what that means because your candidate, you know, if they've never, if they don't know the business lingo and the business terminology, yeah. they're not, they don't know what an open office is. Open office sounds like a software, you know? Yeah, it does. It does. Have you right. ever, you probably have, have you ever reviewed Netflix um, Culture Deck? Have you ever looked at that? No. Oh, go have a look. It's amazing. So it's oh. on, if you just Google Netflix Culture Deck, they've got their, their culture for their company is totally open. Anyone can go and look at it. And oh. there's 120 slides of just exactly describing very clearly what it's like to work for Netflix. And they did it for exactly the reason that you're talking about, which is so that, you know, people can look at it and go, yep, that's absolutely me or uh, -uh that's not me. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a really good thing. Uh, because, you know, it's all about getting the right people in the right seats. Yes. You know? um, it's not that, you know, so, so, you know, companies, sometimes they get it wrong and they just want almost this, like, they want to get autistic people just so they can say they have autistic people. Yeah. Which yeah. is not, you know, that's not... I, that's not, you know, what I, I would, I don't encourage that, but it's like, cause sometimes, you know, this job might not be right for this person. Yeah. You know? So it's just making sure that they know and then, okay, what are these skills? Like, okay, this will actually work really well and just getting the right people in the right seats. Yes. Yeah. Regardless of whatever else is going on, yeah. it's just their ability to do the job, isn't it? Um, some spaces may just, may not by nature be compatible. Yeah, absolutely for everyone yeah um i w also wanted to talk about do you do you have because you mentioned earlier um when, when we were talking about your aerial acrobatics you said you get really into stuff so would you say you've got one of those kind of because not everyone has it but a lot of autism uh, people that have autism um do get quite absorbed in a special interest is that something that happens to you oh yeah <laughs> oh, so, okay um but you know it's almost like, you know, falling in love a little bit when you find a new special interest. You yeah. just, you crave it so much and you just want more of it. And it's, it, it becomes, you know, the thing almost that like centers me and it can be the thing that helps me relax when I've had just too much going on in a day. Um, you know, it, it just, it's, it's a comfort to me. So I don't you think it's a bad thing, but I will be honest, you know, I, it's easy to get so wrapped up in, you know, an interest that you neglect, you know, the people who are important to you in your life. And so I've been guilty of that. Yeah. Uh, and so I have to watch, I, I admit, I have to watch myself and make sure that, you know, I'm not spending all my time just sucked into the computer or yeah. sucked interest in neglecting people who care about me. Yeah. So what, what's your current special interest? Do you always have one on the boil or are there periods where you have nothing? Oh gosh, I can't, I think it would be horrible to have nothing. I think, you know, even when I have, like, if you'd say I almost had nothing, I think work okay. is always, like, I started working when I was in high school, when I was actually, when I'm, actually I worked a little bit part-time when I was in middle school. So mm -hmm. I've been working for a long time, and work is almost like a special interest to me, okay. in a lot of ways. Um, so... Uh, like right now, you know, I changed jobs in March, like full-time. And so, you know, I still am very interested in like web design and all of that stuff, but it's a little bit more on the back burner because learning 
the new ins and outs of my new job has kind of become a special interest for me a little bit. Okay. Um, and so my job in the past too, like when I get a new job, that can become a special interest for a while. And that's the only time it almost is like I have, don't have something else really going on. Yeah. Um, and that might just be because I, you know, when you're learning something new, your brain gets full at the end of the day and you're just like, no more. I've learned so much. I've taken in so much. I can't take any more. And then you don't go do other interests at night because, you know, you're just, you're full already because yeah. you've just learned so much. Um, but there's always that, I have, I've noticed that that craving for information, that craving for like knowledge, as long as it's something that catches my interest, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely there. <laughs> Oh, okay. So what, what, apart from um, aerial acrobatics, which is quite obscure, what's been another bizarre special interest you've had? Uh, I was really into psychology when I was like 11 and 12 years old. So that's kind wow. of weird for someone that age. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to be a psychologist when I was in middle school until I found out how many years of school they had to go to <laughs> for college for university. Um, you know, because being undiagnosed in school, it was, I just couldn't wait to get out of there. Yeah. I imagine adding on, you know, more year that many more years after like that freedom point. Cause it's like the countdown until I didn't have to go to school anymore. Like most of my life, you know, when I was younger. And so I was like, no, you know, so I didn't pursue that because I was like, I can't imagine more school just, uh, so that was one, um, you know, dogs, you know, and that's the other thing is oh, I, I got into dogs um, because I was, I, it was dog psychology, human psychology, animal psychology. I always wondered, like when I was a little kid, like I remember like Dr. Doolittle books and, yeah. you know, it's a movie eventually too, you know, wonder what, I remember wondering, what are the animals thinking? You know, what are they thinking? I always felt like they were smart and I wanted to know what they were thinking. And so that's kind of been a lifelong thing. And so animal psychology kind of, yeah. and with that, and a lot of the interest kind of, blend together or like splinter off another interest somehow sometimes what, what um, breed are your dogs oh gosh so i have we have four uh there's a big black mutt who we think might be part great dane he has the disposition of scooby-doo okay lovely sweet baby clumsy goofy dog um there's a chewini who is tiny uh, a chewini. so what's yep. that a chihuahua and a and a dachshund oh okay Chihuahua with stubby legs. <laughs> oh, complete opposite to the black one. So there's the, the, the furthest apart. Uh, we have, well, we assume he's a sheltered dog, so we don't know. Uh, he's, we think, white German Shepherd mixed with Husky. Okay. Uh, and he's an, we, re, we got him, and he was, like, old, so he was free. And he's, I think, 11 and a half now, or somewhere around there. And he sheds a lot, but he's, like, the biggest sweetheart. Uh, and then Sadie, the pit bull, we, her nickname is Pig. She's an American pit bull terrier, and she's the happiest kiss-you-to-death dog mm -hmm. I've ever met. Oh, that's fab. Really good. Yeah. And very, very different dogs and personalities and probably the need for their training and understanding them quite different. Yeah, I think I approach dog training a little different than most people. Um, yeah. In what way? In what way? Well, you know, I almost raise them like they're my kids <laughs> in a lot of ways, you know. I I teach them language like you would teach a toddler language. Like, you know, like when we're, we're say, you know, we're, every time I'll 
pick up something and show it to them, I'll say the name of it. Or every time we're going, like if when we had stairs, it would be like, okay, let's go upstairs. And every time we go upstairs, I'd say, go upstairs. Every time we go downstairs, I'd say, go downstairs. So yeah. eventually they upstairs, downstairs. Like they know so many words that they know words, you know, the fifth bowl, um, I don't want to spell it. Uh, we one day, were, I said, B-A-L-L. Mm-hmm. I think she's asleep, so hopefully she won't hear me. And she like perked her ears up went and picked up the little green thingy and gave it to us. What the heck? We were trying not to get her excited, so we spelled it. Like, I don't even know how that one, you know, happened. Uh, But they're so much smarter, I think, than people give them credit for. Totally, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. I I have a cockapoo, and I just love her. She's awesome. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so before we finish up, I'd love to know from you, you're kind of, if anyone's sitting either newly diagnosed or they've got a child with diagnosis or they've got late diagnosis or anything, anyone on the spectrum, you're kind of like three tips for survival and life and, and how to embrace it and be as positive as you are. Oh, gosh. Um, one, don't read all the medical articles. <laughs> don't, don't get wrapped up in all of the, the gloom and doom stuff that people are selling on the internet um i would definitely recommend like looking out up like books by autistic authors and blogs and videos uh and looking up autistic voices and just finding those beacons um because that's been so helpful to me mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I, you know be- before it wasn't the information wasn't as useful until i knew how to apply it better yeah Hearing, hearing, you know, hearing it from autistic voices, it I could actually understand it. Like I, I did a video once where I read off the diagnostic criteria, uh, and I'm just reading this out, and it's like nobody sees themselves that way. Yeah. You know, nobody does, um, and you shouldn't because it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so just really, just try to stay avoid of that part. And then the other thing, you know, is. You know, I you know I've had my self esteem go up and down throughout my life, and definitely you know one thing I've noticed in the pattern is when I'm focusing on like all my faults and all the things I'm bad at and everything I suck at and everything I need to improve on. Because sometimes like you know just for the sake of self improvement, it's easy to get that trap where you're trying so hard on self improvement that you start beating yourself down. Yeah. And so, you know, I was on a self-improvement road and then I started beating myself down and then I had self-esteem here and it went, whoop. Yeah. It beat myself down. It was my own fault. You know, I beat myself down um, because I was just focusing on all the crap I couldn't get right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, then, you know, at the point I kind of started to find a lot of the autistic voices and I started focusing more, you know, on the things I was good at saying no to things I didn't enjoy that and doing less of things that I just knew I wasn't good at and didn't enjoy doing. Yeah. And just, I just stopped thinking about like improving myself as much, although I'm always still trying to improve. I do think self improvement is important. Um, but then I just, I started doing the things that I'm good at, focusing on what I'm good at, focusing on my strengths and just focusing a little bit more, you know, on, stuff that kind of just made me feel better to think about. Yeah. I hid a lot of things in my newsfeed on Facebook. Yeah. So 
even that was a lot happier. Like, um, you know, we don't watch the television, so we don't have the news from the TV. Yeah. You know, so it's just this controlling that input, like what's, you know, and, you know, what's, what, what has access to your brain, uh, who has access to your brain, like who's around you. Yeah, uh, yeah just... that's good. So one, don't read the medical stuff. Two, listen to autistic voices. Three, don't beat yourself up and be mindful of the stuff that is being inputted um, yeah. that can drag you down. Brilliant. And one very, very last thing. What, which blog, if you know this off the top of your head, you might not. So um, which blog is your kind of most read blog that people watching this should absolutely go and read? Or oh. just one that they have to read, whether it's most read oh. or not? Well... I recently was part of that Take the Mask Off campaign. Okay, yeah. So a lot of really great uh, content came out of the Take the Mask Off campaign. Okay. Uh, so there's a recap post on there that was like the week six post that has all the videos from that one, that or the whole six weeks and all the posts there linked. So that's a really great resource about masking because a lot of times, you know, masking can be a reason that we're missed because we're masking. Yeah. It's, that's, you know, I think that's, Part of why I was late diagnosed yes. is because I was masking so well, uh, and eventually the mask fell apart. Yeah, you know, uh, so that was very personal to me. So it was really an honor to be on that project. Um, and then actually the other, just check out that hashtag too, because there's a lot of other voices that had a lot of great things to say about it. Great. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure people will love to look that up. We have a similar one um, that was started in the UK which is hashtag do I look autistic yet oh yes it's this you know uh Hannah is yes. the one who she's her and Kieran started the take the mask off ah okay so it's the same yeah small world <laughs> they, invited, they invited us in uh so same 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 brilliant hashtag brainstormer absolutely Anna. yeah brilliant she came up with the tag i'm not sure they kieran and hannah were already on the project and they invited uh myself and agony Otti. okay uh, yeah they, they invited us uh, in so uh i was the only american on that one <laughs> <laughs> brilliant well thank you very much krista it's been so fascinating talking to you i think you're absolutely fascinating i love all your madness of living in an rv and your dogs and your circus performances and love it love it um <laughs> so yeah just keep being you because you're awesome thank, thank you, you thank very you. very much for taking the time to talk to us oh yes it was it was great talking to you good thank you wow so that was krista from neurodivergent rebel um, I found that so interesting. It was so nice to have an American guest on finally and another late diagnosis. Um, love the fact that she lives in an RV. I would love to do that. RV, four dogs. What's better than that? Apart from a cat, obviously add a cat in. She's had an incredible life. She was a dog trainer. She's been an acrobat. Um, oh, it just, just blows my mind that how she says that these special interests and then she does them and yeah it's just i've got special interests but nothing like that so that is just absolutely fantastic um yeah so i hope you've enjoyed that as much as i did we look forward to having some more guests worldwide on the show and thank you krista that was amazing bye you know what